Hello, everyone. Um, so, if you're a guest here, my name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are um, currently working through uh, a series in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the last week of the life of Jesus. If it was your last week, I imagine that it would focus your attention somewhat. If it was your last week, then I imagine that you would, you would start thinking things like, I, I really need to speak to that person. I really, I really need to have that conversation. And, um, and it would probably feel a bit intense, I would imagine. As a week, it would feel a very, very intense week. Everything would be concentrated, emotion, memory, your senses would be heightened. And really... The passages that we're in over these weeks are intense passages. The senses are heightened. You can feel the intensity of it. We see the tension rising with Jesus and the religious leaders. We see Jesus speaking about the end times, the very end of the age. Um, He he speaks um, at the same time about various cataclysmic events that are going to take place in a few decades' time in that part of the world, but at the same time, he also talks about global, cataclysmic, apocalyptic events. It's pretty intense. Um, last, last week, we were at the Last Supper. Jesus institutes the, the, uh, the communion meal during Passover and, and, and starts talking about the new covenant poured out in my blood and, uh, in, and in, my broken, in my broken body. And, uh, and, and then the subject of Judas comes up. One of you will betray me. We read of Satan entering Judas. It's very intense. It's spiritually intense. The, th- the thing is coming very much to its, um, to its climax. And uh, this week, if we turn in our Bibles, it will come up on the, on the, on the screen behind us. But it's, if you have a Bible with you, please do turn to it. It's good to, it's good to learn what is where in the Bible. So Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read initially verses 24 to 30. A dispute also arose among them, that's the disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. (laughs) These guys didn't just think it, they said it. (laughs) All right, so they're really no different, really no different from the rest of us, but they actually said it. Maybe they were just, yeah, they they weren't, they weren't English. They weren't... (laughs) But they're all the same. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greatest, one who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you, as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray for the power, power for me to communicate in a way that is true to you. Power for the listeners to be able to hear what you are saying. Pray for protection from all confusion of the mind and 
wrong thoughts and wrong ideas. We pray for clarity, help, revelation to be given to us. Amen. So, essentially Jesus is talking about two ways that Two ways that leadership worked in the ancient uh, Gentile world particularly. The first was rule, dominion. That it was very much, um, you know, they're living, in a, they're living in a country that's currently under the rule of the Romans. Uh, who, who culturally were influenced by the Greeks more than anything else. But they're under the iron fist of Rome. And uh, there's a, oppression is right before your eyes. So when Jesus says things to, to them like, if someone uh, forces you to walk with, with, with you one mile, walk with them too. He's saying that because... The Romans could do that. They could stop you in the street and say, carry my stuff with me for the next mile. Could just force you to do it. And so, you know, they are around oppression. They're around brutal dominion. For them, uh, a society of hierarchy and brutal dominion and oppressive rule was normal. It was normal life. And then there was this other thing which, which Jesus refers to with this benefactor thing. What was that? Well, in the ancient world, again, very hierarchical, but very different. What you would have was you'd have someone called a patron and someone called a client. And how it would work is, is that those people may be of the same social standing, or they may not, but nevertheless, it was a relationship that was hierarchical. So the patron would offer the client protection, and sponsorship, support, maybe some financial help. And then the client would have um, certain conditions laid upon them. But there was no mistake in the fact that it was the patron, the benefactor, who had the power and who had the prestige. And Jesus is saying, he's looking at these two elements, this lording over, this oppressive dominion. And then this other thing, which is much more subtle than that, but essentially it was, it was still as dark. It was, um, it, was, it was someone offering someone else something um, in return for this kind of prestige, this sense of I'm more important than you. And Jesus says, not so among you. It's not going to be like that. You're, you're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. You need to realize this isn't how it works in my kingdom. Okay? Neither the obvious oppressive leadership or the more subtle. And this is probably, you know, I think we spot the oppressive obvious stuff a mile off and we go, oh, I don't want to go near there. You hear horror stories, don't you? Even of spiritual organizations, churches, where, where that goes on. But then there's the more subtle thing where if you're associated with someone then, and you give them prestige and, 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 and they give you certain f- favors and Jesus says, no, it's ugly. It's ugly. And um, you know, we, this, that's not how the kingdom works. Jesus says, well, Jesus says, who's, who's the greatest? The one sitting at the table or the one who's serving? Well, it's normally the one who's sitting at the table. But I'm here as a servant. And he's saying, I'm the model of what kingdom leadership looks like. Okay? It's, not, it's not a rule book. It's a person. Look at him. He is glorious. He is the servant. He, he came, he said elsewhere, he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. To completely give myself, as we heard earlier, with my blood to purchase those from every tribe, tongue and nation and bring them into this kingdom and this priesthood. This is Jesus. What a king. We serve the Bible says that Jesus is full of grace and Jesus is full of truth. If you're in, if you're in an oppressive leadership kind of system, um, there's no longer any, there's no grace, there's no favour, there's no freedom, there's just fear. But if you're in a kind of a patron-client 
this other thing, there's no truth. You just, you, what do you want me to say? I'll say it so that, we can, so that I can keep your favour. You, tell me how you want me to act. And there's no conviction, no truth anymore. Jesus is full of grace and truth. His kingdom is full of grace and truth. If we can be liberated from this kind of pecking order, this sort of hierarchy, then we, that we can find full kingdom freedom. And that, that's what it's about. And, and if you're ever... If you're ever in a church and, and, and the way the leadership works is that it's hierarchical and, and, and it's kind of, and, and, and people are tiptoeing around the leaders or um, the leader's untouchable or infallible or everyone's scared of the leaders or everyone's constantly trying to curry favour with leaders as if somehow if they can be in favour with them, then they're more in favour with God. That's unhealthy. That's unhealthy leadership. It's not what it's like in the kingdom. Um, it's a level playing field. We, we, there's one high priest and then a priesthood. We have equal access to the presence of God. All of us, regardless of the role we play in the body of Christ. Amen? Got to get it. <laughs> Got to keep getting our minds renewed. In it. It's very different from the world. Very, very different from the world. But notice this, you see. You think, well, they want to be great. Jesus doesn't, say, Jesus doesn't say that's a bad thing. He says, I want to motivate you to true greatness. I want to, I want, the more you grab and grasp for prestige and recognition, the less great you are. The less great you become. The smaller and smaller you become. You ever notice that? Even those whole moments where you've, you've said something and you know you've said it to try and put yourself in a good light. You know those moments? It might have been subtle. No one else knew, but you knew. Probably actually other people did, but you, you, you knew. And you say it, and then you go, and you felt, you felt your soul shrink a little bit. You say, oh, this isn't what I'm about. This isn't what we're about. Jesus' greatness is a, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful thing. But what he does, notice what he does. He motivates them by propelling their thoughts to the future age. He says, hey, you're, you're going to be around my table. You're going to be, you're going to be on thrones. He says, I've brought you into my kingdom. There will, there will be an age where, where you exercise true greatness and true authority. In this age, just, just serve. But there's an age coming. And he motivates them by their future hope. And this is why future hope is so important. The Bible says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And we're kind of good on faith. I think we understand faith, God's promises, live by faith, believe God, trust God, pray in the promises. I think we're, we're good on love, not in terms of we're always, always brilliant at these things, but we grasp what they're about. Love, yeah, love is the greatest. We'll be known by, by our love for one another and um, you know, love the Lord your God. And hope, it kind of sort of disappears a little. It's kind of, yeah, it's, yeah great, hope. I don't know what it is. Because uh, it seems a bit vague. Because you say things like, well, I hope I go to... Barbados next year. It's kind of vague. It's all like, oh, great, but you know, biblically, hope is sure and certain. It's 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 this confidence in God's future for us. That's what it is. And and the idea is is that you're so confident in it that it motivates you to be able to make sacrifices in this age. If you're weak on hope, you'll struggle to sacrifice. In fact, the Bible says if you're the weaker you get on hope, the more your mentality becomes. Let's just eat and drink because we're going to die tomorrow. Let's just get all we can out of the moment now because there's, there's nothing really ahead that I'm actually confident in. Maybe some vague ideas about heaven and angels and things. No, no, no. Biblical hope, biblical hope, it, it, you, you anchor into it and it enables you to, to pay incredible price for the kingdom of Jesus in this age. I want to motivate, Jesus is motivating his disciples. Let him motivate us in that. I do want to... Uh, 
It's always dangerous recommending something from, from the pulpit because, you know, next week someone might ask you to recommend their thing. But Andy didn't ask me. I, I initiated this. I, I wanted to recommend Andy Kite's um, new album called Hope Deferred. Um, it's wonderful in so, so many ways. Incredible music, incredible journey, amazing theology, truth. But one of the things that notice, I noticed listening to it through and through is hope. It's very... There is an emphasis on hope that is unusual, an emphasis on that, that, that future, and it has fed our souls in our home. It is, it is literally it's just fed us. And I do want to get one of these off of you. Andy, wave. Get one of these off of it. This stuff, this is the rich stuff. This is the good stuff. This will feed your soul. We must do all we can because we're constantly being encouraged to get all we can in the here and now. Because we live in a world that doesn't have a gospel hope. Okay? There's, there's no confidence in, in, in what God's going to do in the future. There's just anxiety, fear, trepidation. So let's just get what we can now. We have a future hope if we're believers, folks. We're, we're, we're part of Jesus' kingdom. We're going to sit around a table and enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to rule and reign with him, representing his, his goodness in a brand new creation. I mean, wow. Wow. But let it motivate you to live a life of kind of, how can I put it, um, the sort of abandon where you're happy to just give yourself for Christ and not be wound up about recognition or reward in this age. Not be, in this age, not be fussed. There's a liberty in that. Because you know every time, every time you serve Christ in that way, you are paying into eternity. That's what you're doing. That's not ungodly or unspiritual. Jesus motivates by us by eternal Reward In Matthew 6, he says, verse 19, he says this, he says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, don't do that. But lay up for yourselves. Did you hear that? This is Jesus talking. Don't be more spiritual than Jesus. Oh no, I couldn't possibly. No, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves. You see, why, does God, why would God motivate us? Why, why does that please God? Because every time you do something for the kingdom of Christ that costs you in this age, you are demonstrating enormous faith in him. You're saying, I really genuinely, this isn't just songs I sing, meetings I go to, this, I believe in you. And the Bible says that, God, that faith pleases God in a, in a kind of unique way. It just, I can just imagine him just laughing in heaven with such delight and joy over that, of those steps of faith. And he loves to reward us. He loves to reward his children. So be motivated in that way. Absolutely go for it. Don't hold back. We've got an offering after the sermon. Invest in the next age. Invest in the age, invest in the age to come. Invest in it. We know about the offering. We've got this, this church house thing. Did you know the story behind that? It's all got dumped on us, really. But we found faith from God in it. Let's be honest. We never thought, let's plant a church and save up for a house. Came here to plant a church. Someone said, here's £75,000 towards a house for one of the pastors to live in. But it's going to be a house that the church, that the church will own. Oh, okay. We didn't, that wasn't part of the plan. 
We found actually this is a really expensive area to live in if we want to have an asset here where we know as years and decades go on, able to house different pastors that God raises up here with their family. That's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing asset. So we're paying into it. We're trusting because we believe in the in in the mission that God has got for us here to be a wonderful light for Jesus in this part of London. We we believe it. So so we 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 throw money at it. And then, and, then, and then planting churches across the world where God is really beginning to open up some very exciting doors for us in nations that, again, we just feel we're being taken by surprise from God, but that actually he's prepared us, he's made us a church that is big enough to carry the nations in our heart. And he's given us amazing people that have then moved on, but that we know them and we believe in God's work in them. And we say, well, if they're going to be planting something, hey, we want to get behind that. So we're in, this is kingdom investment and I want to encourage you to absolutely go for it. And, and as you're doing it, you're investing in those things. But guess what? You're also investing in, for yourself in eternity. Do you feel uncomfortable with that? <laughs> I can feel the discomfort ripples across the room. It's always a mistake to try to be more spiritual than Jesus. It's always a mistake. If he's happy to motivate us this way, he knows us better than we know ourselves. On a practical level, us as a family, there are, on a practical level, other things we could be investing the money in that we're about to put into the offering. There always are. There's question marks that we have as a family over the future. Well, how's God going to do that? Where does, we're going to need this, this, and this. We can't ever see how that would work. There's big question marks we've got. Most of us will have various question marks. What do you do in those situations? I think we say, you know, we're going to be wise and shrewd and all of that. But also, we're going to trust God radically. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, it's what you do, what you do with your time, what you do with your money, tend to be the most faithful indicators of what you really believe. We can just believe God and trust God. And we're going to have one amazing house in heaven. I don't know how it works because we won't still be married. Maybe we'll have separate rooms or something. But we'll have a great home. We'll have a great home. It's going to be cool. You'll come round. It's going to be massive. It's going to be pool. I mean, it's going to be great. So uh, just, we're kind of investing together. I don't know how the Lord's going to sort that out. But, you know, we get on really well. So it would be great. It's going to be fun. Um, so, yeah, invest with us. It's part of growing. It's, it's exciting. It's an adventure. And it's a little bit scary. But that's okay. Right, next, te- next bit. Right, Luke 22. Let's carry on. Here we go. Um, okay. We're going to get into some deep theological stuff now. Are you ready for that? Phew. Verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter. The rooster won't crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I'm going to try to explain to you what this means. If we can keep it up. Now, what you need to know, it's really important, is you see verse 31, it says you twice. Demanded to have you, that he might sift you. See those two yous? They're written in plural in the Greek. So he's addressing Simon. The disciples are there. He's addressing Simon. Simon, Simon. Satan's demanded to have you. He's talking about the disciples. Okay? In verse 32, the you becomes singular. 
But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Okay? So just try to firstly understand. It's not talking about something that Satan um, specifically demanded to have Simon. It's talking about... Does that make, make sense? Okay? What is this? <laughs> and can it happen to us? Is probably the next quite urgent question. Ah, you know, what is this? Okay, so what we don't do at this church is focus on Satan, but we, it's important to teach about him. Uh, otherwise, people end up utterly ignorant and might, might go elsewhere for teaching, and, and it may not be helpful. So the Bible seems to suggest that Satan started out as one of the archangels. Um, you'll find that particularly in the passage in Isaiah and in, in Ezekiel. Where it isn't, they are mysterious passages. There's not loads and loads of very, very clear teaching. But what becomes... What seems to become apparent is that he fell through pride. He wanted God's place, fell through pride regarding his own beauty, his own majesty, and, and as a result was, was, was demoted, but took a number of the angels with him who decided to follow him, which gives you an idea of his, his former glory. Um, <clears throat> and those angels now would be described in terms like principalities, powers, unclean spirits, demons. That, that is fairly orthodox teaching on, on, on what happened there. What, now, what is a little, bit, a little bit slightly more obscure but seems to be the case is that before the cross, that Satan seemed to have some kind of either access to or place in heaven. So if you read the book of Job, you read that the sons of God, in quotes, which is a, kind of term, a generic term often for angels, appeared before God and gave an account of what they've been doing. And Satan appears as, he comes as one of them. So it's quite a bit interesting. And it's, it seems like in, somehow in the heavenly courts that he almost had a place of, um, of being able to, or, or, as an accuser, in like an illegal sense, a prosecutor, an accuser in a legal sense, accusing the people of God. Um, but the Bible also talks about him being cast out of heaven. And there are different interpretations of that. But the one we're most comfortable with is that that happened at, at the cross, that he was, he was cast down, disarmed, cast to earth, as we're told in Revelation 12. So, so can, it hap- can this kind of thing happen? Can Satan just demand to have um, some people in, in the same way as happened here? I would say probably not. And just to give you a, a, a scripture, just to show you why I'm saying that, in 1 John 5, verse 18, so this isn't the Gospel of John, but one of John's letters... He says this, he says to them, he says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Okay. By the same token though, what does become apparent through the New Testament is that through sin, through care, spiritual carelessness, you can give the devil a place. Does that make sense? So, for example, Ephesians 4, which you referred to, I think, last week. If you decide to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, you can, the Bible says that gives the devil a place, a place from which to operate in your life. A landing strip is the kind of idea. You give him a landing strip in your life that he can now get involved and mess with your head and mess with your soul. Though we don't believe that that, that, that means taking your salvation from you, but he can operate and influence and kind of mess with your head a bit. Um, forgiveness seems particularly to be one of those things, but I'm sure other things like pride and other sins that, um, that if, we, if we don't take spiritual things seriously, but we are, we are awake to spiritual things, we're, we're, we're gospel believers, that it, can leave us, that it can leave us vulnerable. 
in that sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so what I would say is this, is that undoubtedly, undoubtedly this is sure. I know it's a little bit obscure and I'm, I'm just try- what I'm not trying to do is, is act really emphatic on stuff that seems to be a little bit obscure theologically. Does that make- I'm trying to just be honest with you and say, look, it's, this is a hard subject. What we do know is, is that in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, he says to the to people he's writing to, he says, it's a very famous scripture, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, look, seeking someone to devour, resist him. Okay, and the Bible says, if you resist him, he will flee. So, so we're not kind of, don't, don't get into the anxiety, oh no, Satan can just suddenly demand me, no, 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 no. But, but, if, if, you are, if, you be, if you are not <clears throat> watchful spiritually and you just, compl- you know, you just kind of, in a sense, you're, you're, you're half asleep. You don't, you, you, know, you, you don't keep short accounts with God and other people. You think, oh, it'll sort itself out. You're, you're being a fool spiritually. Okay? Because this is reality. This isn't someone's like, this is bib- biblical, timeless God's gospel truth. So you've got to be watchful and sober-minded. So, so, because otherwise, like with the disciples here, groups can be targeted, marriages can be targeted, flatmates can be targeted, gospel communities, GCs can be targeted, whole churches can. So this is a call, number one, can we just be watchful, guys? Don't give way to things like gossip. Don't give way to things like critical spirit, negativity. Don't give way to to resentments. If there's stuff to deal with, deal with it. Someone's offended you, go and speak to them in love and try and sort it out. Don't let things brew. Don't just tell yourself it'll be fine. It won't be. Okay? It won't be. Let's be watchful. Let's be vigilant. This is real. You hear the urgency in what I'm saying? But don't be anxious. That makes sense? When's Satan going to get me? No, 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 he can't touch you. Walk with God. Jesus protects you. Don't live under this weird sort of anxiety, but be watchful. So it's almost in that sense, to, I would say to a degree, it's kind of like in our hands. Does that make sense? Just be on, be on guard. If God's speaking to you about things through his word and the Spirit's nudging you, act on it. Act on it. Please. You know, none of the leaders are going to follow you around and make sure you do. But I'm urging you, I'm exhorting you, act on it. This really does matter. Um, but, but you think, well, inevitably we're going to make mistakes. Inevitably, you know, we're going to go down cold sex. We're going to get it wrong. So did Peter. His initial response is pride. Oh, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm ready, I'm ready. And it's like, oh, Jesus can see right through him. Actually, Peter had, Peter had a streak of fear. Very bold man, but he had a streak of fear that went through him, fear of man. And it, it came out on the night of Jesus' betrayal. We'll look at that in the next few weeks. And Jesus says, no, you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna deny me. But actually, this is, I just want to focus just for a moment on verse 32. Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith might not fail. I've prayed for you. Hear that. He's not just a servant, as we looked at in point one. He's our great high priest. And he intercedes before the throne of the Father for us. And when Jesus, pray, Jesus' prayers always get answered. <laughs> I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And then when you've turned, when you've, when you've got right 
with, with, with me as a result of all that goes wrong. Go and strengthen your brothers. You're going to be massively used by God. So even in the coldest acts, even when we think, oh, I got that one wrong, or, you know, which all of us experience. Actually, Jesus is praying for you. Your faith will not fail. And when you come through it, you'll, be, you'll have a story that will help strengthen others. You hear that? Amen? Amen. Amen. Final point. Let's read verses 13. Whoops, um, sorry, Andy. <laughs> Buy that one. <laughs> Give me money for that. Um, <clears throat> verse 35, Luke 22, verse 35. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money, bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money belt, a money bag, take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture might be fulfilled in me. He was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look Lord, here's two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. What is this? (laughs) What? Uh, Okay. All right. Okay, we're doing all right for time. So, what's happening here? Just, to, just before people start running out in panic, I'll, I'll hit the most urgent thing first. Jesus is not calling them to a military revolution. How, how, do, we know that, how do we know that that is clear and that's obvious? Number one, by his dismissive comment at the end. It's like, oh, for goodness sake, that's enough. You know? But number two, <laughs> number two, because someone in a few hours' time pulls a sword, don't they? A particular disciple who's probably trying to demonstrate that he will go all the way with Jesus. After hearing Jesus say that, I'll show you. Jesus, what I'm made of. Jesus knows what you're made of. Don't try and show him otherwise. Never goes well. And he strikes off the servant, uh, the, he strikes off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus says, Oi, stop it, and heals him. So we know that Jesus is not. So well, what is it? I thought, because again, you know, people look at these the verses earlier in Luke, don't take any money, don't take this, and they give us a whole model for missions, and now Jesus is taking it back. Well, what's true? What's going on here? Here's what's going on here. The, the clue is in the Old Testament a scripture that is being fulfilled, which Jesus refers to. He was numbered with the transgressors. Jesus is about to say that he's saying this. I'm about to become a fugitive. I'm about to become a fugitive. Up till now, I've, I've been hated by some, but I've been respected by others as a rabbi, worshipped by others as, as, as the son of God. I'm about to become a fugitive. And because of your association with me, your lives are never going to be the same. Okay. Your lives are never going to be the same. So previously in your mission, you had your, you had your home, and you would go and do these missions to these villages, and you wouldn't take anything with you, and you'd come back home. As a result of what's coming, of being associated with me, what's coming in the next few years, you'll be scattered. You'll be refugees. You'll be aliens and strangers on the earth. That's what Jesus is saying. Take, take your knapsack. Be ready. Be armed spiritually. Be prepared. Lifestyle is going to change. And we know if you read through the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote and which comes comes a couple of books later we know that Jesus Jesus returned after his resurrection from the dead he he returns to um, he returns to the father and he pours out the Holy Spirit and he's given this commission to the church go into all the world 
Um, but they sort of, I think personally, it doesn't ever say explicitly in terms of uh, it's a narrative and act. So you just you, sometimes you don't know is, is this good or bad. But I would say they got stuck in Jerusalem, and actually they, they weren't they weren't they had no no sense of desire it seems to go any further. And then what was it that scattered them? Persecution. Stephen was stoned to death, and as a result, a great persecution broke out. And you can trace, you can trace Philip's amazing work in Samaria, the the, uh, the Mediterranean getting get, being reached, uh, Antioch being reached with the gospel from that persecution. And and he, here's the point, the main point I really want to just make, essentially, um, from this is that whether you end up living in the same place for the whole of your life as a believer or whether you end up moving around here there and everywhere there has to be a sense if you're going to be true to the gospel and to Jesus of readiness sandals fitted with the readiness of the gospel bag packed if, you, if, you, if you're going to go you can go yeah you can go sword you're spiritually alert you're, you're not complacent half asleep in the spirit of stupor you're, you're, you're vigilant, you're watchful. What's God doing? Because you never know at any minute what's going to happen. If you. Be, we have to be awake to what's happening in, in our time. If you, if you spent much time online looking at mainstream websites, what you'll realize is that there's a massive awakening in the supernatural. There's a very, very long article on witchcraft on the BBC website. Anyone see that? Very positive, very, very positive article on witchcraft. Fascinating. There's one up on the moment about how millennials are turning to the supernatural, and it's all about spiritualism. It's huge, huge stuff. Buddhism is massive. Buddhist, you know, the Buddha statues everywhere. These different, different spiritual ideas that are not compatible with the gospel okay, are, are more and more popular. Our kinds of churches will, our, will, will attract young people because there is spiritual encounter here. Okay? So getting people over the door in the next few years, is not, I don't think it's going to be hard. I think people are crying out for community, spiritual reality, um, and a sense of meaning and hope and purpose. I think things are so fragmented. So I think, and I think some of them will find their way here. I don't think that's going to be... I think, I'm not saying don't bother inviting anyone who are going to come. Please invite people. But I'm saying I don't think that's going to be the challenge. I think the challenge will be, do we remain true to the gospel? Do, do we still teach the Bible? Or do we just go quiet on certain things that aren't culturally palatable? Do we still speak about holiness of lifestyle? Okay. That's part of our having our bag packed and our shoes on and our sword. Okay. Even if people don't like it. Even if people call us names, even if things begin on social media about us, be ready. You follow a fugitive. Okay. You follow. I believe within that context, there's going to be loads and loads of fruit. An amazing harvest of people who come along, whom the Spirit is drawing, and when they come among us, whether it's here, gospel community, round your house, out at a party they come across us they will smell something and they go that's life that is real life that is the authentic Jesus Christ they'll see the way we love one another 
they'll hear our extraordinary testimonies of what he has done and they will say, that is light. But we need to hold the line. We need to remain bold and we need to not be, af- not be afraid by the spirit of the age, intimidated by the spirit of the age. We have, a ti- we have the timeless gospel. This is God's gospel. Okay? It's not a message from man. This is God's own gospel that he loves because it's the gospel of his blessed son. Amen? We love Jesus. He's our servant. He's our great high priest. But he's also, to the, to the minds of some, a fugitive. A fugitive. And um, those who are associated with him may begin to be seen in that way. And we need to be strong in him to be able not to be not to crumble by that, but to be able to go on loving, serving, showing the true nature of Jesus to the world around us. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're going to, um, we're going to take up our offering. We're going to invest. Anyone fancy investing in eternity for a few minutes? All right, so um, logistically, I think there should, probably should be some pots somewhere, but I'm not quite... They're on, on the two tables. Perfect, brilliant. So they're on the, they're on the communion tables... Maybe you're here and you have yet to convert to Christ fully. But the Holy Spirit is at work in you and you just know, you know, this is true. (laughs) That's how people get saved. The Holy Spirit comes and just the penny drops and you just know it's true. And there may be all kinds of things about your life that you're going to need sorting out and picking apart and all of that. But we come as we are. right? We come as we are. We don't fix up first. We don't... We don't sort ourselves. We come as we are, but we come with open hands to him. And we say, Lord, whatever, Jesus, whatever is not pleasing to you, have. You, you, I'm going to make you king and lord now, and I'm going I'm to trust you entirely for this extraordinary gift of salvation. And if that is you, and you just know, I know this is true. Holy Spirit is just witnessing, and you, you, you get it. The Bible says that if you call out in the name of Jesus, he will rescue you. Okay? Starts with you calling out to hit his name. We, we love to come alongside and encourage you, pastor you, and give you a Bible and all of that. But it starts where you go, Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. And if he's real and if he's alive, then he'll do it. And if he's not, well, then we should all go home, shouldn't we? Because we're, just, uh, we're, all, we're, all, we're all barking up the wrong tree. But we know he's resurrected. He's alive. So we, we turn you to hit towards him. Cry out to him. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to give my life to you. Watch, watch what he does as he does that and comes by his spirit to indwell you. Your foundation then won't be on persuasive words of men. Your foundation will be on the power of God. You know, God came. God changed me. God touched my heart. I'll never be the same again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, great. Well, Andy's going to...